You're listening to the First Six Notes podcast with Classroom Composers, where we dive into everything about teaching band and strings. From pedagogy to fundraising, we'll cover it all. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing successful music teachers, composers, admin, professional private studio teachers, and more to uncover and share their strategies for musical success. So grab a chair and stand and join the conversation. Today's episode is brought to you by the Quarter Note Companion Big Bundle, your entire beginning band curriculum at your fingertips. This bundle includes our customizable band method book series for 18 instruments and a full-length conductor score, the first level of our instrument-specific theory book, the first level of our simple rhythm drills, the first level of our 77 sight-reading drills for concert band, and finally, the first level of our chorale book for concert band. You can find this bundle and more on our Teachers Pay Teachers store, which can be found at www.teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash classroom hyphen composers. Welcome to the First Six Notes podcast, where we talk everything about teaching band, strings, and music. My name is Jessica Frank. And I'm Kevin Hoff. And in today's episode, we are talking about teaching beginning band and what our year of teaching beginning band looks like. And is a big challenge that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. Those first lessons of loud and harsh noises, instrument assembly, and managing multiple instruments in the same class are very tricky. Over our years of teaching, we find it that we enjoy beginning band the most and that we enjoy seeing the progress from students from the first day to the end of the school year. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of progress that can be made from them not even knowing how to open their case to be playing full-length sheet music. And that's something that I really find very enjoyable. So before we dive into the curriculum, I do want to say a little bit about our teaching environments. We both teach at large, heterogeneous classes at Title I schools. The students do not have private lessons, and they usually do not have a general music background. We do teach on a large military base with a fairly transient population, so backgrounds, of course, of our students will vary a little bit. The large majority of our students use low-quality and heavily used school-provided instruments, And lastly, we don't have any assistants or coaches. It's just us and the kids. We see the kids four days a week for an hour-long class period of music. So we're going to talk about three overarching pillars for success. We're going to talk about goals, culture, and curriculum. Goals. So when planning out any sort of curriculum, backwards planning is essential. In order to backwards plan, you need goals. And so when I create the goals, I try and be greedy and think big. By having huge goals, it holds you more accountable as a teacher, and it holds you accountable with your pacing to try and push the pacing forward. Our goals are students will play in tune with characteristic tone. Students will play an octave and a half chromatically. Students will be able to play rhythms up to 16th notes, four of them in a row. Students will be able to slur, staccato, tenuto, accent, and marcato. Students will demonstrate a wide variety of dynamics and changes, and students will be able to perform grade one music. And so those are all of our goals that we strive for. So once we've established our goals, now it's time to create a scope and sequence to figure out how we're going to get the students from point zero to that spot at the end of the year. So what I do is I take out a spreadsheet and I break the school year down by weeks and I create these weekly goals that must be met so we can meet those end of the year greedy goals. 
And you can do this with whatever goals that you want. So your teaching situation might be, might be different than ours. You might see the kids less. You might see the kids more. You might have things like private lessons and all that stuff. So what I just encourage you to do is find out what they want to do at the end of the year and just work backwards. And that has really helped me a lot. Once I started backwards playing, I just felt like my teaching really took off rather than being like kind of day to day. What do we want to do today? What do I want to do here? So by having a plan, that's the most important thing so that you can hit those end of the year greedy goals. So moving on to our second pillar, we're going to spend a lot more time on this one. And this is going to be the culture of the band room. Culture to us means classroom management, learning environment, student relationships, and overall class enjoyment. Culture is often overlooked aspect of education, but is just as important as your curriculum. Culture also takes time to build and it should get better each year. The kids are the same as they were when I started at this school years ago, but I can get so much more from them now because of our culture. Yeah, like, you know, I, I think that when the kids walk into the room, the goal is, is that you want them to flip the switch from being sixth graders or seventh graders or, you know, fourth graders, you know, whatever they are and flip the switch till they become young professionals just for that period of time. And that's what a strong band culture, a strong string culture, a strong music culture will do is that they walk in the room they take things a lot more seriously than maybe they would if the culture wasn't quite as strong. Music is kind of an interesting subject because it's something that is not always taken seriously. And it's not really taken seriously by students and it's not really taken seriously by staff members until you make it serious, I should say. One thing I hear from the adults that I work with all the time, um, especially if I'm starting at like a new school or something, is that they say things like, oh, band is fun. Music is fun. It's a nice break from academics. It's something extra that you get to do. And it's just and, and, and that always kind of bugs me because like, yes, I mean, like music is fun for sure. And is music a nice break from academics? I mean, I, I guess so. But it's also like music is an incredibly difficult subject that people take years of their life to be able to master and still don't even master it. It's so incredibly difficult that, you know, people call it a nice break from academics. And it's like, well, not, that's not true. It's probably actually harder than a lot of the academic subjects that are even taught in schools. And even though it's counted as an elective, it's actually quite rigorous. And the students have to put their brain, you know, to extra work in our class compared to generally in their other electives offered at the school. Yeah, like and just kind of on the subject of electives, I think also one thing that I've always taken the mindset of is whatever I'm school at is that I want band or music or whatever I'm teaching to be the best elective possible. And I think that's something that we've done quite well is because we have the most kids of all the electives because they want to be in band because it's fun and also because we achieve things and that's what kids want to do. It's like some of them want to be lazy and you have to have those electives for the kids that just want to sit there. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about like maybe like a study hall kind of elective. And then there's also electives where you want the kids that are achievers. And that's what we want band and music and strings and choir and all those classes we want those to be. So to help establish the culture, we've got some tips that we wanted to share. And the first tip is, is that you need to have your classroom organized, professional looking, and kid friendly. My goal is when the kids walk into the room, all they have to do is find their chair, sit in their chair, get their instrument out, get their music out, and that's it. I want the chairs to be set before they walk in the room. 
I want everything to be clean so they have to move nothing out of the way. When kids walk into the room for the first time ever, like on the first day of school, I always get them going, whoa, as like they walk in or if they've seen the band room uh, for the first time. And I think that that's really important that we keep the rooms looking really professional, really clean, very organized. Well, and we have to because we have so much going on in, in a music room, you know, very expensive instruments everywhere. There's a lot of supplies and things that, you know, students need to be able to find and the teacher. So it's really important that everything has a spot and that students know what they can touch on their own and not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if you walk into somewhere and it's just, you know, there's like papers everywhere and chairs everywhere and, you know, all that stuff, you know, they're just not going to take it as seriously just as you want to take it as seriously too. We want them to take it seriously. And one of the ways that we do it is just you've got to make that room look super, super sleek. So to also establish culture, you want to make sure you set and share goals with the students on day one. So uh, one thing that I don't do is I don't share them the specific goals. So we read the specific goals about playing in tune and being able to play an octave and a half or whatever. So I don't go over those because that doesn't really mean anything to them. But uh, I've got three simple goals, and they're in the front of the classroom. They're in big writing, so the kids can always see them. And I tell them that these three goals are in order from most important to least. The number one goal for every student is that they get better at their instrument. That's why they're in music. That's why they're in band. That's why in the orchestra. That's why they're in choir is to get better at whatever they're doing. The second one is I want to make sure that we have successful concerts and competitions and that they leave those feeling good and that we accomplish a lot and we have high ratings at our competitions. And then the third one is that I want them to have fun because this is their elective. They did choose to be here. It's not like math class where it doesn't really matter if they're enjoying it because it's, you know, it's a state required class for band or strings or whatever it is. Their enjoyment is important to me. And I do want to make sure that they know that because they can always choose to leave the class as well. And I tell them that those three goals, get better, successful concerts, and having fun, that those are the order from most important to least, and that that's what we're going to be working towards all year. Now, hand in hand with the goals, we're going to move on to our third point about how to establish culture, and that's going to be establishing clear behavior expectations and consequences. But it's important that I tell the students that the goals that we have are only achievable if we follow the behavior expectations and the consequences. So the two go hand in hand. So we have rules in our classroom, and we've actually taken them uh, from the book about classroom management by David Newell. And these rules, they are very important that we write them on the poster. They're in the front of the room. We go over them with the students every day for several weeks at the beginning of the year so that they understand these rules and the consequences if the rules are broken. Yeah, and I think that the book, it's a good starting off point because because I think I read it in like my seventh or eighth year of teaching. And that's when I really, after reading that book, was able to kind of nail down the classroom management and uh, start feeling good about guests walking into my classroom because it was finally under control. So uh, the book's a good starting point. I think it's a little dated. I'm not sure exactly when the publishing date was, but... Some of those things don't, at least in my experience, work totally well with this post-COVID generation of kids. But for the most part, most of those rules hold true. So we have a poster in the front of the wall, and Jessica talked about this, and these have our rules for the kids to read. So the rules are absolute silence while the teacher is working, 
On a rehearsal cutoff, all playing stops, eyes to the front, voices off, and ready to listen to the next instruction. Clean up your mess, no food or drink besides water, and you have two minutes to get your instrument ready. And one thing that also Jessica was also talking about was how we explain these rules. And it's important that I've found, especially with middle school age students or elementary or or probably even high school, is that you explain why we have these rules. And so for the first one, the absolute silence, is that I tell them that this class is going to be organized if I'm the only one talking. And I only have to explain things one time. And a lot of the beginners, what they don't really understand, or what I'm going to say, what they certainly don't understand is they don't understand how to rehearse yet. They don't understand that you have to be quiet, that you can't just play your instrument whenever you want. You only play it when asked. And I found that if you go over like that first one of the absolute silence that they start understanding, oh, I can't just be noodling on my instrument while the teacher is talking. Well, and you have to describe what is working as the music teacher. You have to describe that if you're working with the flutes, that everybody is silent. Even if you're not directly talking to them about their section, it's really important that they are silent so that the flutes can hear what you're talking about, but also what you're saying might apply to them. Yeah, and it's also important to say that by you being quiet while we're working with the flutes or, you know, the trumpets or whatever, that this is going to only help the band sound better. And we have to get them to buy into those rules. And more quickly, because if students are talking when you're working with a section, you're just going to have to repeat it and take longer and not get as far in the music. Yes, exactly. So like that first one's really important. The other rule that I want to elaborate on is on the rehearsal cutoff bit. And I know one thing that I'm sure all music directors struggle with is once they is once you cut off, the class erupts into talking. And that certainly happens with us a lot. And I think it's important that we train them and that we tell them that once we cut off, you stop immediately, you put your eyes to the front, you keep your voices off, and you're ready to listen to what's next. And I tell them it's important so that we can move quickly. If I have to quiet them down every single time, then we're just going to not get as much done. And we're ultimately not going to achieve our goals of getting better at the instruments and having a successful concert. And they're not going to have fun because I'm going to be spending the whole time yelling at them to be quiet instead. Mm -hmm. Our next rule is that you clean up your mess. So, you know, if students say they are opening up a new read and they don't leave their wrapper on the floor, or maybe they have, you know, papers from their binder, all that, we need them to pick it up because there's many classes coming in and out throughout the day, and we don't have time as music teachers to go around and pick up their mess. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not picking up kid messes. Definitely not doing that. No food or drinks besides water. That one I hope is obvious. Uh, we just don't want them blowing Kool-Aid through their saxophones. We don't want that. And the two minutes to get their instrument ready. That's our final rule. Once they come in the room, I want them moving. And and I know some some kids will just open their instrument, stare at it for like five minutes and then slowly build it. Or they're still talking to their friends and yeah, just hanging just out moving, and then they're so. not building their instrument. Yeah. So at the, at the beginning of the year, I make it a big point where I will set a two minute timer and it's just like two minutes, go. And then they have to build their instrument and they have to be able to do that. And if they don't do that, then I mark them tardy. So they have to be able to build their instruments and start moving and get ready once they get into class. Now, we've talked about the rules, and what I want to talk about are the consequences now. And this is taken straight from David Newell's book. We have one consequence, and that is detention. We have the kids serve detention for 20 minutes. They serve it after school. And during this time, they just stare at the wall. I keep track of time. 
They don't like clean things for me. They don't get to work on homework. They just sit and stare. I don't talk to them and they don't talk to me. And that's what the consequence is. There's no warnings that happen at all. It just goes straight to detention because they should know all the rules and they should know what to do. And if they've made the choice to not follow the rules, then they will be given the consequence of a detention. We do start the school year in what is called preseason, where we review the rules and the purpose of every day. And it's important to explain why and how these rules will benefit the students. And during like this preseason time, I mean, I, ex- I explain the rules just kind of like I have on this podcast episode so far, and I make sure to spend like probably about f- five minutes each day. And uh, towards the end of that first month of preseason, I won't maybe take the full five minutes, but definitely I, I try and make a big deal about it at the beginning of the year. One thing that I do do is that if a rule is violated during this preseason time, I will give them a warning just as we're learning the rules. And so, for example, if somebody doesn't cut off when I ask them to, I'll stop the class. I'll say, I'll say something like, well, you did not follow this rule of cutting off. So normally I'd be giving you a detention right now. However, we're still in preseason. I want you to learn. I want the class to learn what this looks like. So I'm going to write your name down. And then if you do it again, then you have it. Then you have a detention. So I try to make that rule violation a learning experience for everyone. Preseason lasts a month. And then after preseason, that's when rules are expected to be learned. And we don't give any warnings anymore. Yeah, like and I find that with the detentions, I mean, like these are middle school kids we're dealing with. But for the most part, I'd say we don't give very many. I mean, I'd say uh, certainly maybe one or two a month. They do a good job of following the rules if properly trained. And these rules and consequence, it's, it's important that they have these because it sets up us to be able to learn in a professional environment. And it puts musical success as the most important aspect. Now, one final bit that I want to talk about with culture is um, having a personality as a teacher. And one thing that I do is I've got two personas. I've got on on the podium, I am strict and I am serious. But off the podium, I am goofy and I'm silly. When I'm off the podium, that's my chance to bond with the students. Every single day as they're walking in, I make it a point to stand at the door and greet every single student and talk to them as they enter in the room. And before class begins, I'll walk around and talk with them as well, too. Once they're packed up, I'll talk around and I'll joke with them. And like in in the hallways, it's the same thing. So every chance that I get to talk with the students when I'm not teaching music, I try and take advantage of that because that's how you build the relationships with the students. And when you're on the podium, the students know that it's time to be serious and take this class seriously because we're working. So it's good for the students to see the two different sides because they know when it's okay to joke around and when it's not okay to joke around. Yeah, yes, exactly. So the culture bit, that takes some time to establish, but certainly a very, very important aspect of beginning band success or just any band success. So so we're going to move to our final point, and that is the curriculum. And with the curriculum, we've got six things that we do with our beginners. And these are going to be talked about in order of introduction. So the first thing that the beginners see is they see the method book. The second thing is we have a rhythm drills book that they go through. The third one is we have a theory supplement. The fourth one is performance music, which is often sheet music. The fifth one are chorales. And the final one are sight reading exercises. 
with these six things that we do with the students, our school year, we, we've broken them down into five units. Unit one is getting started. We spend about three weeks in this unit. Unit two is reading music. This part we spend about seven weeks on. The next unit is we introduce sheet music. We spend five weeks here. Unit four is musicality. We spend seven weeks with this. And then the last unit is unit five is a spring concert and competition prep, which takes about six weeks. And for our first duck unit, and we'll just jump into all five of these, but for the first unit, which is the getting started unit, this first week is spent exclusively in the method book. We're not really doing so much of reading music, but our goals are to learn how to assemble the instrument. We spend a lot of time on mouthpieces and making sure that the embouchure is set correctly and the woodwinds are producing the correct pitch out of their mouthpieces. We'll spend time with the brass, getting them to buzz and getting them to do sirens and flexibility things with their mouthpieces. Then after the mouthpieces are set, we'll build the whole instrument. We'll do a tone production. We'll do instrument maintenance, like cleaning the instrument. We'll talk about posture, and then we'll get into some very basic note reading after they know one note or two notes. And so that's about the first three weeks. It's a lot of rote. It's a lot of us walking around the room and fixing things and making sure that everybody's going to be successful for the rest of the school year. Unit two is reading music. After students have a very basic understanding of their instrument and they learn about three notes, we move into learning to read music. We achieve this in three different ways, with a method book, rhythm drills, and theory supplement. And like one thing with the beginning band curriculum that I'm going to say probably most people do is they only use the method book. And the problem is with some of those method book songs is that they can become predictable. And I've certainly have kids that they don't ever learn to like read music they learn how it sounds and then they're able to basically just like teach themselves by rote and it's always very interesting to see this because they will go through great deals to like avoid reading music and so it's always amazing because like if i play something for them then they can play it back for me and this of course might work but then obviously as we get into more and more complicated music this is not going to work anymore So we do have the method book songs, but we also have the two other things are the rhythm drills and the theory supplement that help really make sure that they're actually reading the notation. So a typical class looks like this. We start them with a rote warm up. During this time, we make sure that each kid is able to play all the notes correctly with proper tone and posture. This is an important time to make sure those fundamentals are being established. Yeah, so, so we might have them do a three-note warm-up or a four-note warm-up, and we just have each section. All right, flutes, play it. And we'll just check fingers. We'll check embouchures, make sure that everybody's doing. All right, next next up is clarinets. And we just got to make sure that they're doing everything correctly. The next thing we do is rhythm drills. So we have three to four measure rhythm drills every day. These drills are all unison and must be played perfectly in order to move on. We kind of make it a game actually with students to see if they can read it correctly the first time. These rhythms are also unpredictable, so students cannot guess, like you were saying, Kevin, and use their ear to hear the sound. Yeah, like, and and these are uh, these are a lot of fun for me to do. Uh, I I think the kids hate them, but I like like I like doing them because we just I really drill it in them at the beginning after they read the first one, which is just all quarter notes basically that. 
everything must be done correctly. So if somebody plays in the rest, it's like, nope, stop, do it again. And then so like sometimes it might take us like, especially on that first page, about 20 tries. But like if you're picky with them, then all of a sudden, like once you're on like page 10 and page 11, they start doing a good job of being able to read it perfectly the first try. Well, and I, I like it because like we said, we, we don't move on until every student plays it correctly. So it actually gets the students to stay focused. They're not just like, you know, when you call their instruments up, they just start playing and not looking at it. They actually have to play it correctly the first time where we start over and it really keeps them focused. So it's a really good way to keep their attention. Yeah. So then these rhythm drills can last anywhere from 45 seconds if they play it all right the first try to, you know, 15 minutes, obviously. <laughs> and because uh, after we do that, then we move into the method book songs. And the goal at this point in the year is that we're learning about two to three songs per day. Obviously, this is going to depend on the difficulty of song and the length of song. But that's what we do for basically the rest of the period is we try and get through some of those method book songs. And then our next uh, part of the class is our theory supplement. We typically do them on Thursday so that we call it Theory Thursday, where kids spend about 30 minutes working on their in their theory books. And our book includes rhythm diagramming, note naming, notation, adding bar lines, and composition. Yeah, like, and all of these things we do with them are designed to reinforce what they're actually reading in the method book and also what they'll be reading further in their sheet music. So the idea with the rhythm drills is that we want those to be harder rhythms than what they're going to be required to play in the method book. We want the method book to be harder than what they're going to eventually be required to read in the sheet music. And for the theory, we want the theory to be more complicated than what they're going to have to eventually read in the sheet music as well. Now, on the subject of sheet music, let's talk about our third unit where we introduce sheet music. So by late October and or early November, the students are ready for their first piece of sheet music. When selecting performance music, make sure that the note reading requirements are well beneath the music they are playing in the method book and in their rhythm drills. For example, if we want to play a piece that uses quarter notes and six pitches, our students should be reading seven to eight notes and playing eighth notes in the method book. Yeah, like, and I think that's one of the problems that a lot of people have is that they find this performance piece and that they say things like, oh, well, I'm going to use this performance piece to teach three new notes and four new rhythms. And it's like, well, that's not really the way that it's going to work well, at least at least in my experience, is because like you want your method book songs to be harder than what you're actually doing in, uh, in uh, the sheet music. Yes, you should not be using sheet music to go over a new topic. The students should have already seen that before so that they're not scared when they see it in their sheet music. Right. And like, I always know that I've done well that when I pass out the sheet music and when they see it for the first time, you know, there's not really like a lot of questions and they're just kind of like, okay, I've, I've seen all these symbols and I just kind of kind of put this whole thing together. So during this time, what a typical class for us is going to look like during our third unit is we do the rote warm-up where like we're just being picky with the sections, making sure they're playing their notes right. And number two, we will still continue with, with the rhythm drills. We'll do three of those a day. We will still do the method book, but we're usually going to drop down to about one of the etudes a day to, to, uh, to give us more timing. After we do the method book, we move into tuning and we do start tuning with them at, at a young age. We just start with a concert B-flat. And we just try and get that at in tune. I mostly just want the woodwinds to have an understanding about pulling out head joints, pulling out 
saxophone mouthpieces adjusting with the barrel and then i want the brass to understand how their slides work so we will start tuning just to kind of have an idea with that after we do tuning then we'll go into sheet music and it's important that we're doing small chunks each day i'll try and do a rehearsal section each day and master that part and we're still doing our theory thursday now when you start introducing the sheet music this is the new thing and jessica kind of talked about this there are some things that you're going to have to talk about don't forget, you need to teach them how multi-rests work because they're probably not going to understand that. And you need to teach them rehearsal numbers. One thing that I also do, which I've found to be successful, and I started this this year, is I give them four minutes of what I call processing time. And during this four minutes, I don't talk. They're allowed to practice. And I just walk around the room and I ask students if they have any questions before we start. And it's really an interesting way of doing things because sometimes kids don't want to ask questions in front of the class. So I make it a point to walk around. Hey, what questions do you have? Hey, what questions do you have? And I usually get a a lot more questions that way and I'm able to clarify things more. The big goal of Unit 3 is to learn three pieces of sheet music for their winter performance and finish the first level of their method book, theory book, and rhythm book. And for us, the sheet music's grade half. And for us, the uh, method book's going to get them the first six notes. It's going to get them down to a uh, low concert G. And it's going to get them the concert E flat and, excuse me, concert E natural. And talking about a little bit about the accidentals. It's going to get them reading eighth notes as well, playing in 4-4, four, 3-4, four, four, and 2-4. And the theory book and the rhythm book are all going to uh, supplement that. And that's our goal for the, by the winter performance and by the end of the first semester that they can do all that stuff. And that brings us to our fourth unit, which happens right after winter break. Unit four is musicality. So after the concert, it is time to teach musical aspects like dynamics, articulations, phrasing, balance, and blend. So a typical class during this time would look something like this. We start with a rote warm-up. We introduce articulations and dynamics in addition to notes and rhythms. So Kevin, you know, one of our rote warm-ups that we like to do is something like they're doing their same warm-ups we were doing before, but now they're staccato or mixing up, you know, adding some slurs in or dynamics and crescendoing through the warm-ups and adding that in. Yeah. One thing I actually learned from TMEA and uh, one of the clinics that I went to, and I, and I thought that this was just so powerful, that a lot of teachers will start teaching articulations when the sheet music requires it. And that's something that I used to do all the time when it's just like the first time they'd see a staccato. Like, what's that was, dot yeah, mean? Yeah, what's that dot mean? And it's like, it's like, no, like they should know what that dot means before you pass the sheet music out. So that's when we do all that stuff is during like our row warm up time. And I'll be like, all right, uh, let's play four quarter notes. Now play four quarter notes short. That's called that's called a staccato. <laughs> and now play four quarter notes long. That's called a tenuto. And so they already know what those things are by the time that the sheet music require those things. The next part of our class, we do we still do our rhythm drills, but now we are on to book two. So we're doing three of them a day, but a little more difficult in rhythm. Yes, and our book two includes ties, and it starts them on 16th notes as well, and 16th note variations where you have like an eighth note followed by two sixteenths and two sixteenths followed by a singular eighth note. We are still using the method book, level two this time, and we are the goal is to master one A2 today. Then we move into tuning and still kind of the same thing there is kind of getting their ears to be able to match pitches. 
And after tuning, we start corrals. And we've got a, a, a corral book that the basic goal of the corrals is that we want them to um, establish musical elements of phrasing, of balance, blend, and part importance. We use these corrals that gradually introduce these concepts, and we try and do three of these corrals each day. The next part of class is spent on sheet music. So we try to read as much sheet music as possible after the concert. We do this by picking sight-readable and challenging music. Our goal is to have them be able to play five to six pieces. Yeah, like and like with this music, what I'll do is like I'll try and set like a class limit. So I'll be like, all right, we need to have this piece learned in four class periods. And then after four class periods, you have to be happy with with whatever the results are. And then you just move on to the next one. This one needs to be done in five and and so on. I just want them just to be churning through music. And our favorite Theory Thursday, that still continues. It's our favorite, but it's definitely not the students. Yeah, it's definitely not the <laughs> students' favorite. But like all the stuff that we're doing, it's we're just trying to conquer little bits each and every single day and to get them ultimately prepared for the fifth unit of the school year, which is the concert prep and the competition prep. So by this point in the year, it's about March or April. It's time to focus on our end of the year performance. We have students finishing the second method book, finishing the second rhythm book and theory book. We introduce sight reading with the students. So they have to read small pieces of uh, music each day. Yeah, like and for that sight reading, it's unpredictable. Like, you know, it's one thing I talked about earlier on is that sometimes the students will they will guess how the method book songs go and they will guess correctly all to avoid reading music. And when we do sight reading, we want to try and make it as unpredictable as possible. So a typical class during our fifth unit is we start with the rote warmups. Again, we're making sure everything's done right. We like to uh, make sure that we're going over the articulations and all the dynamics that we expected them during this warmup time. We continue and move into the rhythm drills. They, like Jessica said, they tend to finish these. So once rhythm drills are over, there's no more rhythm drills and they get very excited about <laughs> that. Yes, they do. After the rhythm drills, we move into the method book and it's the same deal. If we finish the method book, no more method book. And then after the method book, that's when we, we move into the new book, which is the sight reading book. And we do four of these sight reading excerpts a day. They're about four, five, six measures long. And for this book, no pencils are allowed to touch this book. I give the students 15 seconds of processing time where they have to scan the line, think about how it sounds, think about the notes they're going to need, and we just get to play it one time. And we give them a grade based on how well they play it. Then we move into tuning, our corrals, where we are still doing three a day until the book is over, and then sheet music. And this is a big focus of the class time. We spend the majority of class preparing the music for their upcoming concerts and competitions. And then lastly, Theory Thursday until we finish the book. Yeah. And this gets us basically until uh, the end of the school year. And by following this plan, we've actually been able to have some really outstanding beginning groups. And this, this plan actually works out really, really well. And I think just kind of the big thing, uh, like the big takeaway for people here is that don't wait until the sheet music to introduce new concepts. Those concepts should already have been introduced. And if you think about it, like in the way that we acquire language and learn language, you hear things first. And that's why we always start our class with rote warmups. Like, I want the kids to be able to play eighth notes before they're reading eighth notes. And I want them to experience eighth notes before they have to, like, read those. Because, you know, when you see eighth notes, 
Like, I don't know. They just look just, just like the way they look. They just give students anxiety. So just make sure that students have heard something first. They've performed it many times by rote. And then you can apply the notation to it. So they already physically know what to do before they're actually required to read something. So that's kind of the biggest uh, thing that I found is that they have to experience it via rote before they're able to read it. And then once they're able to read it in small chunks, then they can read it in the actual context of sheet music. And then by keeping your class set up, like we've described, by keeping your your rote warm-ups, your rhythm drills, your method book, it gives structure to the class period and students need structure. So it keeps the class actually more manageable because students know what to expect next when we finish one exercise so they're not overwhelmed and they're prepared and have their music ready to go. So hopefully our tips in this podcast have given you some thoughts about how you might want to structure your class for the beginning of next year and gives you success with your beginning groups. And if you're interested, all of our materials that we use with our beginning band students, they're all on our Teachers Pay Teachers store. The method books are there. The rhythm drills are there. The theory supplement is there. The corral book is there and the sight reading drills are there, plus a bunch of other stuff. I've taken a bunch of these rote warm-ups that I've done and I've actually put notation to them. So all of the warm-ups are there too. And so there's just a ton of stuff that you can use with your beginning band students that we found to be highly, highly, highly effective. And many of these materials are also available for beginning string students as well. So we want to hear from you. We want to hear how you plan on beginning your next school year, how you structure your class, what tips you might have to give us, and if you plan on using any of the tips we shared with you. So join our Facebook group. Search up First Six Notes by Classroom Composers, and let's keep the conversation going. All right, and shout out to our super producer, Tammy, for throwing this whole thing together. And until next time, keep teaching and keep inspiring. And that's it for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Leave us a review, share it with a friend, connect with us on Instagram, and check out the show notes. And while you're at it, check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store at www.teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash classroom hyphen composers and our website at classroomcomposers.com. Until next time, keep inspiring.